This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Wow. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hello. Can we just breathe? Yes. I can, can feel you breathe. It's washing over me. And, and suddenly that's good I didn't take a shower. Here's the situation. I went and got a mammogram because I have two friends in my life that have breast cancer and they're young, which is to say my age, which is to say 40. AKA 22. AKA 22. And I was like, oh, you're supposed to go get these when you're 40. So I went and got one and I have dense tissue. Many people do. In fact, everyone does. It almost hardly merits a mention because every woman I've said I have dense tissue to is like me too. And I'm like, yeah. So they were like, we don't like what we see. We, AKA, we can't see that well. Can you come There's back? a lot of boob in there. There's, There's a lot a of boob, boob in there. Um, having a sip of my tea. So I went back, got another mammogram, like eight of them. And the woman that was giving me a mammogram, you would have loved. Like, I, I should have gotten her number. She was like, oh man, I'm so good at this. It's crazy. Every time I look at my pictures, I'm like, ah, you're so good at this. You know what? My son, my son, you'll never believe it. I don't drink. My son, he he gave me a sip of beer the other day. He didn't tell me. He told me, told me, told me it's a grapefruit drink. I had a sip. I just about killed him. I just about killed him. I said, what is this? It's not, this is some kind of alcohol or something. I, oh my God, look at this picture. Honey, don't breathe a minute. Don't breathe. Don't breathe. Don't breathe. Okay, you can breathe. Oh my God, look at this picture. Nobody does them like me. Nobody, I don't know who you went to before. They messed them up. I, I look at my pictures. I'm like, there's no way they're going to even not know what's going on now because I do this. You know what? That's what I do. I've been doing this thing for 30 years, honey. I come in here every day. I do my thing. Come in from Long Island. Thank God I don't ride the train anymore. I can't be, you rode the train in? Oh God, I don't ever ride that train. Honey, that's a cute purse. You, you know what? I, I thought you were kind of kidding me with these shoes. At first I thought, what, what you wearing these shoes about? But these are your real shoes or you brought them into wear just for the no just because they're so comfortable looking no i mean they're cute i, I would uh, this is her she doesn't stop talking here's what's entire... great about this you're doing a mammogram it's your second one or your first one the second, second one here you are you're in your head you're stressed about it she don't give you time to think she says we're going on a run-on sentence she's so funny and she's like oh man the doctor he wants me to do your boob again i'm gonna kill him i told him i'm gonna kill 
He said, he said, you're getting impatient with me. And I said, get impatient with you. I'm going to kill you. I told him, I'm going to, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to murder you because I'm doing these perfect pictures. Oh, he wants to see more. He wants to see it close. He wants to see it upright. He wants to see it up left. He's so particular. He's being so particular with me today. I can't, but you, uh, honey, I only got the 15 minutes today. I only got the 15 minutes, not the full lunch. Can you believe she's not, she didn't stop talking. It was oh like, my God. I, I loved her. And I was like, just laughing because she was like, I'm funny, aren't I? I'm funny. She kept saying that. And I was like, you know what, man? And you know fun. And I know comedy. Did you just say, I know comedy. What shoes uh, were you wearing, though, is begs the question. I was wearing, do you know the slippers that are like slip-ons, but they're fuzzy? Yes. They're Garnet Hill. They're so cute. Anyway, I was wearing those. There are a little like house slipper vibes. And so I think she was like, are you kidding me with this? And I was like, I'm not. They're like, I'm getting my boobs squeezed. Let my feet be comfortable. Let these dogs not be I was like all about being comfortable. Anyway, I did two sonograms and like eight mammograms. And then um, they're like, the options are going to be, we call you back in a year. We call you back in six months or you have to do a biopsy. And I got the... Choice C, the worst one, the one I didn't really want, the biopsy. It's option. the one you didn't want. You you were going. If I had to choose, if I had to choose, I, was I like, would oh, say, oh, do I get a pick? And they choice were like, no. one would be go come back in a year, right? Mm-hmm. That would be choice one. Okay, I figured. I just mm-hmm. would beg, it begged the question. Don't cheat. Um, <laughs> so don't copy off my paper. So I was like, I don't want the biopsy. I got the biopsy. So I had to go in to get the biopsy, and and everybody, all the all the bitches and babes, all the moms in the hood are like and you as well and all the all the chicas in my life have been like oh my god what do you need are you okay da, da, da. and like i had a lot of people being like do you want me to come with you and i was like no um because i think you know me well enough to know that that's that's a i don't want to take care of somebody else um yeah. which is what that would turn into for me uh, through no fault of their own um totally i want to sit in the waiting room and feel whatever i'm gonna feel and not have anybody that i'm protecting and mm-hmm. not have to have a conversation where I pretend to feel okay if I don't. But the truth is, I actually didn't feel any anxiety. And when I went in, I found myself. You texted me the morning of. I didn't know about this because all of a sudden I got a text from Quinn that's like, hey, having a biopsy today. And it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I and just I, But didn't... I understand that. That's to each, of course, that's no criticism, obviously. No, I know. I, I but think, I get that. I think a lot of people. Uh, that I'm close to because I was away for the weekend were like are you okay and I was like I weirdly am like I don't think it's going to be anything because odds are actually that it's definitely not like it's like 80% chance that it's nothing so um I I really wasn't anxious also because I do really well in situations where I have no control Mm -hmm. which is to say like when I went into labor I had the same sort of distant feeling of like Oh, you just, you don't get to choose anything. You just show up and see what, what this what's is. in front of you. And there's something about that that I actually find freeing um, versus like I agonize over decisions and things I've said or done and all kinds of anxiety producing elements that this just wasn't for me. So I, but also here's the truth. I think because I read 80% of the time it's nothing. In my head, here's what I thought a biopsy would look like because of that. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd go in, I'd lie down, they'd give me some sedative, like not like pass out some some you know local anesthesia or something. Uh, I thought they're gonna take a skinny needle and put it through the side of my boob and grab a little thing and pull it out. And that is not how it fucking goes. No. You walk in and you do the mammogram machine, and your face is pushed up against the glass, and they're the doctor I had looked like um. 
Tia or Tamara, take your pick. They are twins. Very beautiful. Very cold. Very business. Very terrible bedside manner. Like walked in when she had to check something with the nurse, did not make eye contact with me and was like looking at my chart and was like, birthday. And you know which side we're doing? Okay. And then like left the room. And the nurse, there were two nurses there. And one of the nurses I like glommed onto instantly. She had like the warmest aura about her. And you're like, she's my person here. She was super like laughing at like, I was like joking. I was like, why do they make you wear these horrible robes? And then I was like, why do they make it? Why do they make it so cold in here? Shouldn't they like give the women a plush robe and a martini? Like we could make this so much better, right? (laughs) And like she was like laughing and like my friend. So then they sit you in a chair and they push you up against the mammogram machine and they flatten your boob in the mammogram machine. But the Mm -hmm. thing they're flattening your boob with has holes in it so that they can cut into your boob while it's being mashed. So they're like, look at me and they have you tilting your head to the side, but you're right. You know, your face is so close to where they're doing. Yeah. Your boob is not that far away from your eyes. You wish it was because you really wish it was two up there. And then this woman, the doctor then yelled at me because I have a bad back and my chair was so far from the mammo that I was having to use all these muscles to hold myself in the position. And you're going to have to hold still a lot. And I moved and she got really angry and was like, okay. you can't do that. You can't move. And I was like, no, I know, but I, I'm not comfortable enough. Like she's like, it's not going to be comfortable. And I'm like, no, I'm not expecting like I don't expect a bubble my- bath right now, but I yeah. need you to push my chair closer to the machine so I'm not arching. And so they did, and I was fine. But it was like, she was, I'm wow. like, do you get like what I'm here for? I don't expect um, any prizes today or yeah. like a sticker, but like just speak to me a little bit nicer than you would the guy that's like holding you up in the subway. subway. Yeah. yeah. Just like speak to me a little kinder than that, please. Yeah. Um, thank God for this nurse, though. She held my hand the whole time. She looked at me the whole time and pet my hand and just kept saying like, you're doing great. And like all this stuff. They didn't give you any painkillers, did they? They give you, yes, they do. Here's what they do. They inject your breast with Novocaine, which hurts a lot because there's like. It has to touch a nerve. And it spreads and you like feel it spreading. And then they do some other numbing stuff that hurts. And then they're like, hold perfectly still and they image you. And then they like put in coordinates, I think, for where injection stuff is going. And they're like. We're going to slice. You're going to hear it. It's going to make a loud noise in your face. And it like pops. And they're like, don't move when it happens. And there's like a pop right by your head that's really loud. And then the machine makes all these weird noises. And you can feel it even though it's not. It's like pressure. Yes. But you can feel it like pulling the samples. And it does it like six times or it makes like six noises. And then and I knew that they were pulling it because I could kind of feel it. And then they're like, we need to do it again. And they did the whole thing again. And they're like, the Novocaine's going to start wearing off. So tell us if you have sensation. And I was like, I do feel it. And they were like, how bad does it hurt? And I was like, it hurts, but I think I can do it. And they were like, because I didn't want them to like do it again. Yeah. So then I can like feel it and it hurts. And they're like pulling it. And then they insert, um, they implant two little metal balls, really, really tiny, so tiny that I can go through the airport fine. But they're like to mark the site that they pulled tissue so that and they'll be there forever so that it's like if a surgeon has to go in, they know where we pulled the unhealthy tissue. If a surgeon doesn't have to go in and next year you get a mammo, we want to know where we pulled tissue because if it looks weird, we might be like, oh, we already looked at this. 
We already like examined this. We don't necessarily need to biopsy you again, which would be ideal. But it was so much more. um, And then you've got them like, uh, I I was very um, like sweaty and weird Mm -hmm. feeling and like looking around the room. And I think I looked scared because then they like did this thing where they were like, what are you doing later today? And I'm like, it's my son's sixth birthday. And they're like, oh, that's so fun. Oh my God, what are you going to do for him? What are you going to have for dinner? And you're like, pizza. And they're like, oh my God, when I was little, I loved Pizzeria Uno. And they're doing this thing above your head, the nurses, where they're trying to like- Amp you up in some way. They're they're just trying to distract you from the fact that this is happening. And it's so weird because you're in a position where you have to do the same and be like, let's all talk about pizza. And like, you're getting your breast biopsied and it's so horrible. But, But then you're like, the same way I didn't want to take care of somebody in the waiting room, I'm like taking care of these nurses. these nurses by performing a conversation in a normal way when what's happening isn't normal. And it just, I don't know what I wanted them to do, but not that. <laughs> well, I think it's too, it's one of those things where it would be great if you, if they were like, would you like us to distract you? Would you like to have a conversation? Like even as somebody's like, would you want to just focus on your breathing? Do you want to play music? Like there are options that yeah. you could have gone through where it's well, like. Well, then I, I think I looked really bad because then she was like, I need to get ice and like said it like it was an emergency. So I thought it had to do with the surgery. But then when they got the nurse her ice, she just put it on the back of my neck. And I think she thought I was going to pass out. Yeah. Um, Because she said it like it was an emergency and put it. And I wasn't going to. I think I just looked really bad for a second. But I think I was just. I don't know I'm so sorry well then I said to them I said oh do you get a lot of people that faint during this and she said all the time and I was like yeah it makes sense because and I said to her it's not that it's that painful and she goes I know it's just and I and I was like it's very traumatic and she was like I know and the nurse was so great because she just like super got it got it where I was like this is really bad like that's really bad what you guys just did like that didn't there has to be a better way was like how I left. And the fact that like Matt went to go get a vasectomy and they're like, do you want us to put you fully under? And that like we go get our IUDs put in and out no and medication. a biopsy. And they're like, would you like a Tylenol? And like, just like the amount of inequity in that yes. is so disgusting. He and said, to me, makes Matt me rage. said to me, did they give you any uh, prescription pain meds? And I said, no. And he goes, I went and got my toe looked at yesterday for from how I broke, he was getting his toe lifted at the same time I was getting the biopsy. And the doctor was like, I'm going to get you some prescription painkiller in case it bothers you. It's just like so different, you know? It's just like, why would a man ever have to feel pain for even an instant? And like to be awake for that, I was like, this is insane. Why can't I be asleep for this? This is yeah, like, so I, here I was beforehand and I had no emotions about it. And I was, um, do you wish someone had told you beforehand? I don't know because I don't think that the anxiety of going in would have helped. Frankly, it doesn't matter. I just was surprised at how shook I was leaving. Mm-hmm. Like I went in fine making jokes and I left that room and I walked down the street and I was really shaking. Oh, cool. You know? Was Matt with you when you walked home? No, I just went by myself. I went and got... um some cake, a rainbow piece of cake for Koa at a bakery. And then I went home and then I like was supposed to do pizza with the kids last night for Koa's birthday. Like he and Ozzy were going to make their own pizzas, which his Ozzy's parents were here. So it was like, it was very like everyone helped. 
and I didn't feel like it was like a spotlight on me and I had like an ice pack on my boob and it was um just traumatic and like I was I didn't expect it to be when they said it's probably nothing you don't expect then the procedure will be something you kind of think well if you're just going in to check and it's probably nothing I just didn't gear up for like how awful that that would be yeah um I'm so curious if if you would have preferred like I don't I don't know what the answer is right mm-mm. do you want to know do you want to like I I don't know I don't know either how would that have helped me I don't know uh, I just also I'm like the fact that they were like you can only take I'm like give give someone a clonopin give someone some like here's fuck, what I don't, like like here's, have something like a relaxant you, you know, know what I mean what? like and here's to answer your question here's my suggestion I didn't – the doctor said to me twice during the procedure, once in the room and once again – once in the prep room where they're just taking – talking to you and once again in the room room, she said, do you have any questions? And I said no. I said no uh, because I guess the question would have been, what the fuck are you about to do? But that isn't – I, I think I expected that the way she would handle it mm-hmm. would be a lot more – they say things like, we're going to numb you. And I had to pause her and be like, I don't understand. Where? Where's the needle going that you're going to yeah. numb me with? And is it going to happen right now? And it, I didn't feel walked through the process. And yeah. so I was on edge the whole time because I didn't know what was about to happen. I didn't know what bodily sensations I was going to experience. It I didn't know of- they were going to use the mammogram machine until... I was there getting it done, you know? There were so many things about it that were surprising. It reminds me of when you got the electron electrode test, too. You had, like, a very mm-hmm. similar experience where it was like, like, we're going to shock you, and you're like, I need a little bit more context here. Like, I feel like you've you've had two experiences this year alone and pretty close together where, like, you went into a medical facility and they performed, you know, tricks on you. Uh-huh. And you were blind. And those yeah. are, that's really scary. And they, and again, like, can I, can I also just give context to my week and say that we spent Saturday night on our vacation at an ER because Griffin fell down a flight yeah. of stairs and had to get CAT scans to make sure he didn't have a brain bleed. And he has a crazy black eye it's and he's so totally sad. fine. And if you ask him about what happened, he goes, I had to fall down those stairs. <laughs> he told somebody it was his job. He was like, so I had to, I had to fall down the stairs and then that's what I do. I reached for the light and I fall down the stairs. And afterwards when I was holding His him, poor little eye. he was screaming and I was holding him and he kept going, don't stop kissing me. Don't <laughs> stop kissing me. And so I was just like kissing him constantly. And then we like had to put him in the car and go to the ER. And we had all these friends upstate yeah. for this like party. And we were like, can somebody put Koa to bed? And we just like left and went to the ER. And Griff got to watch Ridley Jones the whole time. So he's like very. The hospital's a party place for kids who go for like that one time. Because he's like, I got to watch whatever I want. I got to eat whatever I want to fucking eat. Yeah. He really, yeah, he had a great time. And then he like, when we got home, he was like, I'm never going to do that again. And I was like, I'm really glad to hear that plan because that was so scary, Griff. And he's totally okay. And when we did the CAT scans, he put his baby hands up to his ears. So then when you see, because he was scared, and then when you see the CAT scan, it looks like this brain imaging, but then these two skeleton hands. 
It's so cute. Like, I always have to show you a picture. It's insanely cute. Like, I, I want to frame it. It was adorable. So that happened Saturday. Jesus. Biopsy yeah. was yesterday. And then, God, I'm sorry I'm talking so much. But please this, don't apologize. I do have this to- is important. This is, I, I, I genuinely, I heard a little bit of it, but obviously we wanted to save some of it for this because, but I, again, like, what this is important. And I know a lot of our yeah. listeners have probably experienced this or maybe will or know someone who has. It's yeah. really important to talk about it. Well, I had a lot of big feelings about, um, I think I've talked about how like I felt like Matt checked out when I was giving birth to Griff mm-hmm. and he was like in the corner journaling. And <clears throat> I had like a lot of feelings about that, that I've, because Matt is so over the moon loving Mm -hmm. it's hard to like it's hard for me to know what to do with that or where to put it Mm -hmm. and um it's like a missed connection with us and then with the biopsy stuff it happened again where he like didn't offer to be there or to pick me up or anything and he didn't really check in and I felt I didn't know how mad I was until we like this morning I was on a walk in the park and we talked on the phone while I was on the walk the whole time, which is like a really good way for me to communicate. communicate. Mm-hmm. And um, I like realized that I was like, he he brought it up. Like he brought up the Griff stuff. I can't remember why, but basically we ended up having this like realization that he thinks that the way to take care of me is to give me space because I get so angry when people are trying to take care of me and I am so dismissive and I'm so like, I don't need anything. So he approaches everything as I'm here if you need me, but you need to ask for me and I would never ask. So then there becomes a situation where I feel like he's checking out of these scary things like giving birth or a biopsy and Mm -hmm. he feels like he's, doing right by me and giving me the space and meanwhile being like obviously all you would ever need to do is ask and I would drop everything to be there but I don't want to ask it's the same as like that I told him it's the same as that adage of like I don't want to ask my husband to do the dishes I just want my husband to do the dishes and it's the same with this it's like I don't want to ask for you to be there for me I just want you to show up and if I don't want you there I'll tell you yeah and that we realized that through this phone call, but it was um, like a very emotional. That's a lot of lifting. Stuff to walk through where it was like, I need you to be different in this way because I, I'm i really scared right now that if I have cancer, you're, you're going to like not go to my appointments unless I tell you to, or you're going to be like, if Quinn doesn't feel like making dinner tonight, she'll tell me. But I'm basically like, the, it still feels like it's all on me, even the yeah. communication where yeah. what I need is for you to like over the top in the other direction, like yeah. order the dinner. And then if I like didn't want you to, I'll tell you. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I need it I the other way around. I, yeah. do, I can't be in charge of asking for each thing I need. Yeah. Um. So that was like very emotional. And we're having this conversation on the phone and I walked through the whole park. Like we talked for like an hour and a half and I like walked the whole park and I'm coming back toward the neighborhood and we're like still in it. Like very emotions are heightened. It was a very good conversation to be clear. Um, 
very successful. That stuff brings a lot of stuff up. It's not, it's not like you're, yeah. I get to our block and I'm in the middle of it. And then a guy just exposes himself to me on the street. So I'm on the phone with Matt Queen. and I start screaming, oh my fucking God. Like I'm, I'm primed. My emotions are already You're, at a 10. Yeah. So I was like, oh my fucking God, are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? And I like came at this guy and I was like, you just standing here with your fucking dick out at me. How fucking dare you? And I like go for him. Yeah, <laughs> like, as you I'm like, I'll should. kill this man. Yeah. Like, I have so much in me right now. Yeah. I will murder. So I'm Ugh. like, and this guy like goes, sorry, and pulls up his pants and goes, didn't see you. And I go, you didn't see me? You just showed your fucking dick to me on purpose. And now you're telling me you didn't see me? Fuck you. And I'm like chasing him up the block. I like hang up on Matt. I call the police. I'm like chasing this guy. And I'm oh like, and then I see my neighbor, Rita, and she's like, what's going on? I'm like, that guy exposed himself to me. And she's like, he Rita. looked like he was up to no good. So now there's like these two crazy moms <laughs> in their like pajama outfits going after this guy in a hoodie and like running up the block on the phone with the police. I mean, just absolutely bonkers. What a fucking week. And I just almost did a murder was how like if if I had had a weapon, this is why we got to do gun control, guys. Because if I had had a gun, <laughs> that guy would be out. for that guy. That guy be fucking game over. Absolute side fact. I I didn't know they made them that big. That was insane. <laughs> well, that's why he was probably exposing them. I, but don't definitely, give him- but I was like truly. Mouth agape? Like. <laughs> this, this just. No. Fully and not even erect. No. No, just truly like something memes are made of, not reality. So also that was shocking. Um, if there was probably not the reaction he wanted. No, because I just was yelling like, you should be ashamed of yourself. There's children walking these streets. Like I was like really so mad. Quinn, I'm so, uh, I like don't even know where to begin. I was screaming. I, I don't know where to begin in that. People on the block were like, I was proud of myself for screaming because I think if I hadn't been so mad, I would have like done something different. But I was so mad that I just started yelling so loud that other people on the street were all looking at what was going on. So it also felt like a safe situation. Yeah. And it was so, during the day. Like, it's crazy. It's broad daylight. It's sunny. It's not even cloudy I was having today. coffee. Like, what in the <laughs> don't world? Don't ruin my coffee with your cock. Don't do it. It's Don't just like it. so And horrible. I was like, I wanted to like tell him about the yeah, biopsy. I, you know what you I know would me. have? I wanted to be I wanted like, you I just to. got a That's, fucking biopsy. I was kind of waiting Mother for you to be like, I'm waiting to find out that I couldn't organize cancer. my thoughts to do it. I, there's so many. Because that would have made could. him feel so guilty. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, He'd be I, like, what's a biopsy? <laughs> There's so many. Well, you know. Something was, you should get tested on that because that's not natural. By the way, <laughs> on the way to the biopsy, it was in Cobble Hill. I stopped at not Beacon's Closet. What's the other one? Uh, Buffalo, exchange Buffalo Exchange to try to sell some stuff on the way, and the oh, guy Quint, was that, so Quint, that I know terrible. That idea. was actually a terrible. I, but I'm never here, in that neighborhood. And the guy <laughs> said to me, and I put the stuff up on the counter, and he goes, "Oh, it, I'm looking at our system. It looks like it's been a while since you've been here. What's the story?" And I said, "I'm not usually in the neighborhood anymore. I used to work over here." But he goes, "Why are you in the neighborhood today?" And I go, "Breast biopsy," and then he didn't buy anything. And I was just thinking, like. <laughs> 
I kind of think like for eight bucks, cost the store eight dollars, get one of my out of fashion sweaters, but just give the woman a break. Like, wouldn't you just buy one thing from the pile? You were already going through like a deeply emotionally traumatizing thing. And then you decided to go to Buffalo Exchange. You fool. I I don't want to blame you on this, but that that's a really vulnerable place to be, too. I was so mad he didn't take anything. And then I'm like, and then I had to carry this bag and you're not supposed to carry heavy things after the biopsy. So I said to him, would you guys do donation? And he's like, no. I just would have and left. I, and I was like, like, bye. Well, so I walk out front and I sit down on the bench because I have to get all my stuff together. And I was like, fuck this guy. And I took a big pile of the clothes and just left them on his bench. <laughs> I was so pissed. I'm so pissed. It's like, you really don't take donation? Yes, you do. Because I just fucking Guess donated. What? Just bitch. did it. <laughs> I had to have a win. Quinn? And that, I guess, was my win. Because there's been a lot of fucking loss this week. Quinn. I don't know where Griff's to begin. eye, my breast tissue, my modesty. <laughs> so the first, much. The first penis she's ever seen. <laughs> Um, I, I, uh, think, first of all, thank you for sharing. Thank you so much for sharing. I, um, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. And I'm so sorry if you felt alone. I'm so sorry if you felt unsupported in any way. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I mean, I had no choice, but I did do it and it's done. And, um, the truth is, I don't know when I'll hear back. They said around five business days till they get results, but it can also be longer. So I'm hopeful. I don't think you guys all have any news in the next episode, but I will have news On in the, the episode after that. Mm-hmm. So stand by. <laughs> and I hope that's not a journey we all get to do together because not <laughs> interested, frankly. <laughs> Frankly, zero percent chance am I interested yeah, no. in that. I, I, um, I know a lot of people are going through it too. You know, like you're not alone. Yeah. Oh, no, I know. I, I'm in great company. I really love the gals that have it. So, <laughs> <laughs> if I have it, it's a club of some really fun ladies. So you know, we'll make it work. But it's uh, it's all workable. But don't don't show up in my neighborhood and show me what you're Your working dick. with because I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> should we do some thanking? Um, we should say you're listening to Truly, Truly Darkly, Creepily. I'm Quinlan Posner. That's Hero Quinlan Posner, and I'm just Carrie. Just, just Carrie over just there. Just Carrie if I'm over Don't worry here. about it. Don't worry about me. All right. Um, should we thank some folks? Yeah. How about Gracie M.? How do you sing after that? How- like this. Gracie, 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 you're so graceful. You Gracie gracefully M. opened your wallet, wallet to, to me. Us. Well, you gave <laughs> us your money that starts with an M. Just like your last name. Gracie M. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Bitch. <laughs> Oh my God! Why did I write Melissa S twice? There can't be two Melissa S. Do we just do Let's one? Only thank one Melissa S. Melissa, S, this is for you because there's gotta be. If there's two, we'll be so lucky where we just do one song. Melissa S. Melissa S. You are so fun. Melissa S. You are the bestest S. Melissa S. Melissa S. A lot of S's. We love you so much. It's sexy and sassy. Melissa S. Melissa S. That kind of reminded me of like. Um, old old school Sesame Street where they'd be like 11, 12 
I don't know why. Paige. Neither do I. Can I tell you, this is for Paige C. And I do want to tell you that when I met Jordan's dad and he introduced himself, he said, I said, oh, it's good to meet you. I'm Quinn. He said, I'm Paige, like a girl. (laughs) (laughs) Well, nice to meet you. Which I was like, how about like a book? Sir, like that seems doesn't need to be so gendered. Well, was it is 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 it P A I G E? Uh huh. Well, that's like a girl. Well, this is too. P A I G E page 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 P A I G E not like a book like a girl like a girl. Are you a girl or a boy or a girl? Who cares? Because we don't care. We don't care. P A I G page. We want to read all about you. P A I G page page page. I feel like you missed it because we did a lot of really good shoulder movements there. Oh, yeah. It's like so hard because sometimes we like put in so much physical work. So much physical work. Like, I'm sweating. Who was right that now? for? It's for us. For us. For okay. us. We deserve it. Natalie G. Natalie G. Natalie G. What do we know? That's for Natalie G. Natalie G. Natalie G. Um, I do want to tell you that we got some nice reviews. Um, somebody uh, let's wrote do us. The, should we do those later? Because I feel like we got to get into the story. It's been 30 minutes. Oh, my fucking God. Are you kidding me? No. All right. We'll it's do, been we'll do 30 minutes. All right. Let's jump in. Um, I'm going to tell you the story of. I'm going to tell you the story of. This really crazy. <laughs> heist situation. I feel like you've already told a crazy story today. Do you need another one? I know. It's like people are sick of hearing from me. But no, you know what? Not. I they never are. Guys, I have to tell it because I read a GQ article by a man named David Kushner that was so much fun. And then I did some supplementals on Wikipedia and Seattle Times. But the story is a wild one. And it is in um, September it's September 30th, 2008, and so there's a group of about 12 guys that were on Craigslist, and they see this ad. I imagine more than 12 guys saw the ad, but 12 <laughs> answered it, um, and it's for a, a cleanup project in the city, and it's $28.50 an hour, not too shabby. And in 2008, that's a lot of money. That's right, and they're like, just come to this parking lot. There's a Jack in the Box. There's a Bank of America. You need to show up at 11. You need to bring your own stuff. Like you need to have uh, safety glasses on. You need to have um, a ventilator mask, one of those bright vests. High vis. Um, Yeah. And, you know, proper fucking shoes. And so then these guys answer this ad, mm-hmm. these dozen or so dudes. And, and they get an email back that says um, – Show up in this and a blue shirt, everything we told you to have in a blue shirt, and we'll start work. Now, it, listen, if you get to this parking lot at 11, the, the time will start. You know, we're paying you. But if a project manager is not there right when you get there, do not leave. Just wait for the fucking project manager. So they arrive. Yep. And they notice that one of them is like, project manager, be damned. I'm gonna start the gig so he's like over killing weeds and um doing his thing with with his equipment and they're like well that guy's pretty like 
you know, we got different personalities, you know? Completely. Now, they're in the parking lot. They're waiting. And they see um, an armored truck roll up because there is a bank right there, Bank of America. And the the guy, the, the messenger gets out with a dolly and starts wheeling bags of cash over to the bank. And the guy that was killing weeds looks up and not a second goes by and he guns it toward this guy. Guns it. Just runs straight for him. He doesn't even get all the way to him and he's pulling out pepper spray. And he starts to spray the guy with the dolly who is like letting go of the dolly, grabbing his face and screaming. And this worker grabs the couple bags, fumbles one of them, gets one of them, and just runs off with this bag toward a nearby creek. And all the workers are watching this. They have no time to react. Everything I just said that moment is under a minute that it all happens in. What? Totally. So then the police show up, and they have been given a description of the assailant, and guess what they show up to? Everyone wearing the same thing. You bet you. You bet you. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, holy shit. Everyone is this description. (laughs) So they start to track where they think this guy ran. Everyone's like, well, we saw him go that way toward the creek. And they get there. And along the little gravel trail they're walking, they see like he's thrown everything behind him, all the shit he was wearing. The 2850. (laughs) So like, is anyone going to give us that twenty eight fifty per hour? So they see, you know, um, a part, a white particle mask and glasses and a and a cap and a wig, and then they get to where the trail of goodies ends, and it's this stream that's pretty shallow, um, like a couple feet deep, and they're just like, the trail ends at this stream, like where the fuck is he? So what had gone on? back let's like go back a few months while this heist was being planned the robber had been watching the armored car yeah over and over again making these deliveries um and he was taking notes on that he was drawing diagrams of what the bank looked like noticing where the cameras are um noticing how much money he thinks is coming in on the dolly each day and he starts to think, okay, what's close to the bank that I could use to escape? There is this creek. I could maybe jet ski out. I guess he'd seen, you know, maybe somebody did that in a movie. Maybe he saw like Tom Cruise do that once. So he was like, that could work. That's probably not going to work for many reasons. What he ends up thinking, though, is what if I make a pulley system? So like I put wire essentially mm-hmm. along the edge of the creek with bars holding it in place, and I have a raft. And then I, with my arms, just pull myself along, 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 using this, like, wire ringing. That could really, that could really work. And all I need is a fucking inner tube. I don't need a motorboat and some skis and, like, to become a good jet skier, (laughs) which seems challenging. (laughs) Um, So that's what he's done. He's pulled himself 200 yards down this fucking creek and imagine it's it's not in the middle of the woods. It's just off the road where there are all these businesses like the Jack in the Box in the Bank. So then he ends up upstream behind another set of businesses and can just 
hop out. Now he doesn't have all the costume on. Um, he had connected. He'd made his clothing um, like theatrical, like a ripoff thing. Yeah. Like it's like Velcro. Yeah. So he can pull it all off. He's in a different outfit. Um, he had a friend meet him in a car. He jumps in the car and he can beat it, you know? And so they, of course, have gotten helicopters involved because it's a lot of they, money. I wonder how much money is it? Um, 400,000. <gasps> yeah. Wow. 400,000. Um, so when they get the helicopters involved, it's too late, but they do find the raft. So they're like, ooh, that's what he did. Dang it. So then the news loves it. And they're like, this is nuts. And they start calling him the Craigslist robber. They start calling him DB Tuber. (laughs) (laughs) That's after DB Cooper. Carrie did that on an earlier episode. I really like that. DB Tuber. It is good. Um, His name's not DB Tuber. His name is Anthony Curcio. Oh, we found him. He is. um, I kind of was rooting for him for a minute. I know. You wanted him to be DB Tuber forever. I don't like that he pepper sprayed, but I think this was a pretty fun. That was pretty fun. Pretty fun get. The story is that he's not who you would picture. He's um, a lot of articles kept describing him as all American. Um, I don't know what that means, but I think it means blonde. I think Um, it means blonde. Yeah. Handsome guy. He's a like a father of two um he married his high school sweetheart who's a cheerleader he was super into sports he was like captain of all the teams <laughs> all um, the teams all every single team he was captain um so he was born in monroe washington and he was just like i said super popular super captain of everything um but then he had a sports injury where he tore his uh Someone, one of his ligaments, and they're like, "You're not going to be able to do football. You're, you're, you're out. fucked. You're fucked." But here's some Vicodin because he's a man, and he gets all the good painkillers. Guess oh, what? Oh no, not good. So he starts. Um, he doesn't realize he's like addicted to it, but then right. when he runs out, he has like the craziest withdrawal where he's like barfing, diarrhea, feels awful, like can't get through it. He wants the pills so bad that he on purpose goes to town kicking a fucking coffee table to try to get more prescription meds and they're like we're not going to give it to you so then he's he ends up being like i don't know what to do um and he does all kinds of things he goes into facilities he gets checked into facilities um but this like that's so sad because you know it's they were just prescribing that shit willy-nilly willy-nilly um he when he gets out of drug rehab he starts a series of businesses the first thing he does is start some kind of business that buys and sells casino tables um and then he starts to expand that business to sell commercial space or lease commercial space it's called tony's gaming um cuz he's anthony anthony curcio um it gets shut down because somebody tips um, the gambling commission off that it's not above board. He doesn't have like the right permits. But so when it gets shut down, he has a relapse, like anything in life that is challenging, obviously like creates a situation that, that makes him very vulnerable to do drugs again. And he starts forging prescriptions for the drugs. Um, and he just, he's having a, like a double life. Is what I felt because 
the people that were in town would have seen him as like this handsome, successful guy that has a beautiful wife who they have like the little girl and then she's pregnant. She's going to have another little girl and he gets into real estate and is very good at it and like is making money. So I just think that people were like, it would not be that guy. Yeah. Um. He's spending like $15,000 a month on Oh my drugs. God. Yeah. Oh my God. And so be, to support that habit outside all, everything that's above board, it's not as though everything was above board and then he committed this robbery. He's definitely, um, he started to do more serious drugs like cocaine and benzos and he's doing like, he's dipping into scary stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, scams, loan sharks, He's he's definitely becoming a part of this weird. He's doing a fake sports memorabilia, like trying to sell fake sports stuff, like conning people. Um, but all that and the drugs, it's not a recipe for like. And then he so he looked successful. It's like his car gets repossessed, his wife's car gets repossessed. They're like gonna lose their mortgage. It's all these things where she's pregnant with their second kid, and he is losing all their money fast oh, and Jesus. furious and he just wants an easy fix um so four hundred thousand dollars obviously it would make a big change when he gets the money this is such a good indicator for how much people would not have suspected him he gets the money and he's walking down the street with it and he has to call his friend to come in the car to pick him up And he goes into a real estate office where they know him because he's a real estate agent. And he's like, can I use the phone? And they're like, sure. And he's making a call, but he looks down and his feet are muddy, soaked. And they're like leaving stains on the floor. So he's like, I got to get out of here. (laughs) Like somebody might remember this later. So he leaves and he goes and like with the friend stashes the money somewhere and is like take me home goes home and like everything's normal that night like he gave his daughter a bath oh my god his wife had seen the robbery on the news had not thought anything of it um and th- over the next week he'll go visit his money like you do and yeah. run it through the dryer with like fabric softener to try to get the bills dry and then I I don't have a good sense of how many weeks pass, but what essentially happens is he's trying to figure out like what to do with the money and stuff. Like he can't outwardly spend a bunch of money suddenly. He buys a car, but like in his friend's name, his wife is sensing a weirdness mm-hmm. as you would. It's a really yeah. big secret to keep. But because he has this history of drug abuse, she's like, he's and she's pregnant. She's just like, I don't know what's going on with you, but get the fuck out. Like, I'm freaked out by you. Get the fuck out. And I feel like I've painted a picture of somebody that is a little bit prone to acting out and being depressed and having like not healthy coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. So when he gets kicked out, he just grabs a bunch of the money and goes to Vegas and starts like, partying like brings his friends brings like a I think a teenage mistress maybe and I wasn't clear if that was his mistress or one of his friends but they're definitely partying there's definitely women there's definitely drugs there's definitely like binge drinking um he they're like paying people lots of money to get them into shitty clubs you know 
You like did like a, oh God. And this is where he gets caught. Well, I'll tell you why he's going to get caught. The A few weeks before he committed the robbery, like three weeks before, he was, but he knew he was going to. He was there doing um, a rehearsal. And we love a dress rehearsal. He had his costume kids. prepared for his rehearsal. And then he was like, Ugh, I can't do it right now and put his costume behind a garbage can and then later drives back to pick up his costume. And there's a homeless guy there that sees him pick up his costume. And he's kind of like, the, I think the homeless guy even said, I was going to call the police. And he was like, why? And got really nervous. And the guy's like, well, look what this stuff is. It's a co- Like, it's a costume. He's like, and it's by a bank. Like, there's only one thing that could be for. And he's like, very nervous. He probably should have just not done it at that point. Because now there's like a witness that you're leaving. But because it's a weird homeless guy, it's also easy to be like, it's not it some guy that works at the bank that saw. It's not even just like a guy from town. It's a homeless guy that saw. I think I'm good. And so he just leaves. But while they're investigating this crime, a sergeant says, wait a minute. There was a few weeks ago that there was a city worker that came by and said, a homeless guy told me he found a disguise out by the garbage by the bank. Um, and they're like, that is a huge lead. How do we find the homeless guy? And they're like, no problem. He had a beard. And they're like, ooh. So they have like no <laughs> um, recourse to find this guy. Yeah, they have they're like, he had a beard and a dog. That's what that's what they know. So they're like, what are we gonna do? So they they there's a pretty well-known area where the homeless people are like doing an encampment, you know, they have yeah. like their tent set up. So they buy a bunch of McDonald's and go to this camp and they're going around being being like Juno man with a beard and a dog here's a burger and they eventually find the guy oh my god yes and the guy says that kid was stupid he probably thought just an old tramp he ain't gonna do nothing he ain't gonna write my tag number down wrong game over because he fucking did write it stop he wrote the guy's plate down when that happened and so he gives it to them, and that they guy trace better it. fucking get a a cash reward prize. I know that guy better fucking get a prize. So they trace it, and they're like, "Oh my god, that's Anthony Curcio's plates." And Anthony Curcio has recently left Vegas because things didn't end great for him there. One night he's like drunk on drugs, and he all his friends are with him, and they're in like his fancy suite, and he's like, "Everybody, everybody, watch me," and he's gonna do, I guess a um, a jump over a coffee table. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. I already know where this is going. Well, he breaks his wrist and his elbow just jumping okay. over a coffee that, table. I was it's like, not he's that dead. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but like, then he's just like binge drinking. He's so depressed. Um, And he's like, I got to fix things with Emily. So he comes back home and he's like, hey, I, I, I've had a really normal week. I haven't been in Vegas <laughs> jumping over coffee tables. He has like big bags under <laughs> totally. his eyes. He has, a, he has a cast on his wrist. His, his hand is like holding on by a fucking thread. He tells her that he had like a good real estate deal go through. So he does have all this money. So he's basically like, I, think I can save your car. I can throw you a baby shower. Uh, please let me back. Like, here's all this money. And I bet and she really loves meanwhile, him. Meanwhile, the FBI is watching him because 
the man with the beard and the dog has told them to. Um, and they get his DNA off, um, you know, something he throws out at a gas station that he was drinking, and they cross it with the DNA that was inside the, the mask <gasps> that he dropped. Yeah. Remember, he like the threw part down of the mask, all the yeah. stuff. So they run it, and they're like, it's totally a match. So he goes to Target one day in his Range Rover, and his Range Rover that he bought with his Jesus, m- like, with the bank with money. The Camry, go with the Corolla. What are you doing? What are you doing? And they arrest him. And when they arrest him, like a little bitch, he does yell, this is slander. Do you know who my parents are? Which is, it, that is the all-American way. So good for you, you know what? Anthony. He Always is living an American up to, boy. Yes, we are an American are his boy. parents? It's an American dream. Did you go over who his parents are? I don't know. Maybe they're just big wigs in town. I have no <laughs> idea. I don't care, Anthony. And you're not going to bait me into looking it up, I Anthony. I got to say, too, like the fact that this guy, they call him an all-American guy. I'm like, oh, so he was white. Oh. Totally. Do you know what I mean? Like, like he had drug issues. He had like I known problems, pictured. and it was like, "Fuck that!" That is, I I went from rooting for him in this like weird fun heist to being like, "Fuck right off!" I picture um, your wife is like the Ken from leave. the movie from the Barbie movie. Is what it's I like picture. you leave and then you go and like go to Vegas. Like, come on, what if what an idiot? Yeah. So he gets sentenced to seventy two months in federal prison, and. The GQ article, they like the guy, David went and interviewed him and he said, I was fucked and thought I could fix everything. I just wanted to be a hero again, which you're like, you wanted to be a hero again. And the second thing you did after robbing a bank was go to Vegas with like a teenage girl and jump over a coffee table. Relax. I can't. I can't with that guy. And he said that the morning of he like watched his family sleep and cried because he couldn't (laughs) believe he was going to do it. And um, the wife I love because she says. Although he said he did it for his family, I believe he actually risked. I believe he actually risked his family for the money. Good for her. She's right. Go Emily. Go off. And, and you she know, poor said Emily. he had been using drugs, money, and material possessions to fill a void within himself for years. There's like a lot of people I'm mad at. I'm mad at like the pharmaceutical companies for overprescribing these horrible drugs. I'm mad that. Emily was in a place that, like, she loved this guy. You know what I mean? Like, that's the other thing is because someone – she loved him. Mm-hmm. Poor Emily. So, so mad at him. Ugh. Then what happens in jail is that Anthony is – hangs out with these two guys that have assaulted another inmate, and they know that Anthony wasn't part of it, but they – must not like him maybe because he's always talking about who his parents are or something but they're like we're gonna hold him under investigation until we figure out if it's been resolved and as a result he has to go to solitary and he's there for seven months and they beat him he witnesses suicides he says at night cockroaches crawl all over him and so when he leaves prison he's just a changed man yeah and he writes a book called Heist and High. And it basically, I I don't know much about it except that he said it was with the intent that people not make so many bad choices like he did. And he also, while he's in prison, starts to write children's books. And he writes 20. And one of them is called My Daddy's in Jail. And it's for kids of incarcerated parents. Because remember, he has these two really young kids. Yeah. While this is happening, he's Those missing out. He was released in April of 2013, and he reunited with his family after being released. And I think that 
She loves him. I think she loves him. I think she took him back. And I also think I also think he did change through this process. He now works with um, kids and he gives lots of presentations like at schools and stuff on drug abuse and making positive choices. And I think he's really tried to be like, don't fuck up like I fucked up. Right. Um, he's back a little bit of my good graces. Yeah. It's what a, it's, what a roller coaster. I it's went complicated. On and I'll, I, went and on a lot, I went on a big old roller coaster. That's right. I'm going to sure. give you like one little cherry on top. Um, the man named Dean, his name is Dean, the man with the beard and the dog, Dean. He used the reward money he did that he was really given good. to buy um, a Nissan Pathfinder. And he said he's going to use it to drive to the Ozarks, which is where his family lives. And he's going to try to get himself off the street for good. And he said, I'm going back to see my kids again. That is a really good cherry. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's a crazy story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. So many ways. Um, the story of D.B. Tuber. D.B. Tuber, <laughs> who we now know as Anthony Curcio. Curcio. Mm -hmm. um, okay, I'm doing this story that was really fascinating to me um, because when I was in Scotland, I don't know if you remember, I was in Scotland. Um, there's a gallery there called the Talbot Rice Gallery. And we walked into it one day and saw two of like the most incredible art pieces I've seen in a long time. And mm -hmm. the piece I'm going to talk a little bit about is um, Lawrence Abu Hamdan's 45th parallel, which was an art. And there's two stories and I'm only going to share one of them, but maybe I'll share another one another day. Um, but along with that, that's what inspired me to research this story a little bit more. But I got this information from Wikipedia, PBS, Al Jazeera, NPR, CNN, and Vox. So we're going to go back to June 7th, 2010. Um, and we're going to meet Sergio Adrian Hernandez Guerreca. Okay, it's quite the name. It's a well, long did you name. Wanna, you Carrie kind of like paused for applause. No, I didn't. I was it. like, that. So should I go? <laughs> I, I it wasn't applause. I thought you were like, and <laughs> and no, no, no. I was like, so his name is Sergio Adrian Hernandez Guerreca. I'm gonna call him Sergio. Sergio, I think it's Sergio. If it's Spanish, I mean, uh, do you order quesadilla when you go to the restaurant? You know what? I don't, I don't order know. croissant. I'll tell you that much. Um, okay, <laughs> but it's important to know because he's from Mexico. He's a Mexican boy. He's 15 years old, um, and it's 2010, and he lives right around the Mexico-U.S. border. So this is the border of Ciudad Juarez in Chihuahua, Mexico, and El Paso, Texas. So it's like very close, and it's like an invisible border. You know what I mean? Um, and so him and a couple of his friends are playing around this area and they're doing this thing that like a 15 year old would totally do him and his friends would like go over this, like in, it's a cement culvert, which is an, which is like, um, like a pipe drain, like little, um, crossing. So there's like a, what seems like a drain underneath. Um, and you could like go through this big pipe and be on the U.S. border and there's a fence there. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, as we know, borders are pretty arbitrarily created, right? Mm -hmm. And so this area, like you could run up and touch the fence and be on the U.S. side. So at mm -hmm. 15 years old, it seems like them and their friends are like running around, touching this fence, getting on the U.S. side and like running away. Okay. Mm -hmm. And obviously, um, as we know, the border is quite politicized and there are border patrol agents. And so what happened was, is that 
the U.S. border agents hear about this, you know, that kids are going up and touching the fence and they're young kids. Um, and so Jesus Mesa Jr., who is a U.S. border agent, he gets on his bike. He hears that there's like something going on at the border. He mm-hmm. gets on his bike and he rides up. He gets off the bike. He sees the boys. And in his mind, what he sees is, oh, these are smugglers mm-hmm. going up to this this um, trying to cross this border illegally. And so the kids see him coming, you know, in his border patrol situation. And so they run away, but one of the boys doesn't run fast enough. And so Mesa grabs this boy and is holding on to him. Now, according to Mesa's report, which I can't emphasize enough, there has been video showed of this incident and this does not this is not corroborated, but what Mesa says happened, I want to spoil that enough because I don't want there to be any sort of idea that this is actually what fucking happened. Mesa says that all of the boys start throwing rocks at him. Mm-hmm. And so he felt his life was in danger. And so he's Oops. holding one of the kids. He pulls out his gun. And 15-year-old Sergio is trying to run away. And he shoots him twice. In the back. He shoots him once in the head. Once in the back, 15-year-old Sergio is dead. Unreal. Sergio was unarmed. His parents will say he was a straight-A student. Um, his second, He was in secondary school. Um, they were even going to send him on an academic trip because of his good grades. He was just a 15-year-old boy. When this happened in 2010, the video surfaced, and I... I did not watch the video because I didn't think I could handle it, but I saw what were the accounts about around it. Mm -hmm. And again, it contradicted his claim that they were throwing rocks at him. Um, You can see in the video Mesa pointing his, what appears to be a firearm in the direction um, who was about 60 feet away from the officer on the Mexican side of the border. And the suspect, this kid Sergio was running away when he Mm -hmm. was shot. What's crazy is at this time, I read a CNN article from 2010, and a U.S. Customs Border Protection spokesman told CNA that apparently this kid had been apprehended by U.S. officials on more than one occasion, was never criminally charged, but he had a history of human smuggling and was on a list of repeat juvenile offenders. From what his parents say, I'm I'm more inclined to believe his parents, and I'm more inclined to believe that this kid was just like touching a fence with his friends and ran away. Um, it's hard to even say that because I again, there's no evidence to support that. If he was if he was on a list of repeat offenders, why wasn't he criminally charged? Because he was not. Mm-hmm. Um, but what makes this case really fascinating to me is the legal case that ensued. Because what is unique about this case is that there is no doubt that Jesus Mesa Jr. shot and killed an unarmed 15-year-old boy, Sergio. Mm -hmm. What is significant about it is that when Mesa shot his firearm, he was squarely on U.S. soil. The gun passed the border. The bullet. The bullet, sorry. The bullet passes the border and shot and killed Sergio on the Mexican side of the border. Whoa. So people don't know how to charge this crime, how to prosecute this, because it is a cross-country border. 
Like, did the crime happen when he pulled the trigger? Did the crime happen when the bullet hit the kid? And so like, where's the murder? A right. huge, massive that is legal case. So stupid. It is. I mean, so I totally stupid. get why it would have to be a thing, but I'm also like, what a fucking dumb, yeah, fucking thing. So Mexico's government indicts Mesa for murder. The U.S. under the Obama administration refuses to extradite him to Mexico. Okay, so he can't be tried in Mexico because they're like, he was in the U.S. The U.S. Department of Justice declines to prosecute Mesa for this crime. So he never faces any criminal charges. And then what happens is that Sergio's parents are going, okay, what is our legal recourse? How can we punish this guy who killed our son? And again, I think the U.S. Department of Justice were like, oh, he felt like his life was in danger. As we've seen so many times and times before of like people in a uniform can just kill with complete immunity. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's like, again, Sergio was not armed. Um, This accusation of rocks being thrown at him, there's no evidence. They say like this kid was running away. When this U.S. Border Patrol agent shot him. So the family decides to sue for damages, monetary damages, um, and said that Mesa's actions violated his, uh, their son's, Sergio's, Fourth Amendment and Fifth Amendment rights. And mm-hmm. the Fourth Amendment rights are, um, a, it's a ban on unjustified deadly force. And the Fifth Amendment rights is right to due process. So both of which Sergio, if he was breaking law, he was completely denied and that affects his rights. However, what's really challenging about that is that does he have rights? Does he have those Fourth and Fifth Amendment rights because he died in Mexico where those rights are not intact, but the gun was shot in the U.S.? And that's what this case is now about. wild isn't that insane just so um let me see so like this causes a super long court case um about what is due process in the clause of fifth the fifth amendment um and did it protect his life even though he was not on u.s soil and whether mesa could in fact claim qualified immunity as a u.s law enforcement agent even though he killed someone in Mexico. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so all of these things, all of these are totally up in question. Um, and the case uses, the case that they use to sue as like sort of precedent is a, is a um, was a Supreme Court decision that allowed people to sue federal officials for constitutional violations mm-hmm. um, called Bivens in case that comes up later. Um, but over the years, um, courts have made it more and more challenging to actually use Bivens precedent Mm -hmm. and sue law enforcement individuals. So the case first goes to the U.S. District Court of Texas, and they initially dismiss the case. Mm -hmm. Um, They said that, um, and then it goes to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and they say that Sergio's rights were in fact violated. And then that goes back to a panel. There's like, Mm -hmm. it's like constantly fighting of like, we can allow this case to go forward. This this case does not have any constitutional grounds because he was killed in Mexico. And it eventually goes to the Supreme Court the first time in 2017. And the majority at the time reverses the Court of Appeals ruling and requests reconsideration. So that like first Court of Appeals, anyway, they're just like, 
it has to go back down to a lower court. It has to go back down to a lower court. Um, and so you have to see if it's going to like, basically they're like, we're not going to take it on, bring it back down to the lower courts. What's interesting is that from the dissents, you had some dissenting conservative members and you had some dissent dissenting liberal members for different reasons mm-hmm. for it to go back down to the lower court. Mm-hmm. Um, because Clarence Thomas, um, one of the justices, obviously we know we hate, um, he said that, um, let me see what he said. He said it would have, re- he said it would have restricted the application of the prior rulings to not apply to cross-border actions and would have simply affirmed the ruling of court. Of- okay. Let me go back. Sorry, it is confusing because there's a lot of legal mumbo jumbo, but like, I just think it's a fascinating case and Mm -hmm. I have to talk about it. So Thomas was like, actually, we should have just dismissed the case altogether instead of bringing it back down to a lower court. That's why he dissented the decision to bring it down to a lower court because he was like, we should have just affirmed the ruling that like he doesn't have any, any sort of rights, you know, um, because it's a cross-border action. Whereas Breyer and Ginsburg, famously liberal judges, um, they said that since the incident occurred in a border zone of overlapping jurisdiction, that both governments had responsibility to manage this crime. And since Mesa could not have known for certain, this government agent could not have known for certain if Sergio was a US citizen or not, his actions should be judged as if they were in the US. Okay. So it's like a it's little a confused. I it's mean, totally a lot to take in. And we but can, I'm like, no, I think it's great you're explaining that. I'm just like, I'm more like frustrated that it is so like. The legalese of it and like what recourse he has. because you just, the, the emotions are so cut and dry and it's so, and the crime is so obvious and blatant. And like there is no doubt that this man killed this 15 year old child. And spending all this money and time to talk about where somebody drew a line in the sand mm-hmm. is like so, so, I mean, it's just, I just really find it infuriating. And what's so heartbreaking is the family of this child who oh was killed God. and they can't I get any be able justice. I not listen to any of it. I mean, I just, listening to people talk about laws and, and, and borders when you've lost a child. How do you prosecute When this? somebody murdered your baby. Murdered. I can't. I mean. So at this point, Trump administration is now in town. It's 2019. And um, it goes to the Supreme Court yeah. again in 2019. And as we know, it's a highly conservative court. And so we, I'm going to read this and I'm going to see if I can read out loud and then I might just synthesize it so we can cut this, but I need to read it. So it goes to the Supreme Court in 2019, and the Trump administration uses the Department of Justice, and they file an amicus brief, and they argue that the actions of border agents should be immune from liability, even if the entire incident occurred in the U.S., 10 miles from the border. So the Trump administration's Department of Justice is going, hey, he actually has immunity, so even if this took place in the U.S., this wouldn't be a case, so let's just drop it. And then the Mexico government um, filed an amicus, the Mexican government filed an amicus brief saying that the failing to provide an effective, an effective remedy to this situation to seek justice for the dead child um, was essentially a fundamental violation of the human rights and would undermine the U.S. human rights violation. And they said a nation's obligation to respect human rights do not stop at its borders, but apply anywhere that the nation exercises effective control. So again, you have like two 
different countries filing these briefs of like, we need to come to a resolution. Trump's administration is like, absolutely. Like, he's immune. If this was in the U.S., we would have been fine. Um, And again, like the attorney who's representing the family who works for the American Civil Liberties Union is saying, you know, border agents should not just have immunity to fatally shoot Mexican teenagers on the other side of the border fence. Like, what sort of precedent is this creating between this like really scary place where it is highly politicized? There is a lot of misinformation about it. Like, and there's a lot of trigger happy U.S. border customs and patrol. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. like, it's just really sad. And so, what also is significant about this case is that while the Supreme Court is hearing arguments and stuff, the question then comes into okay, if this is the precedent, if we can, sh- if, if, if we try this guy, Mesa, shooting a gun across the border, that then opens us and his family can sue a, you know, federal agent. Mm-hmm. This now opens the U.S. up for more legal cases, i.e. drones. Oh. So think about this. So if for some right now we have like a very real crime where it's or it's all a very real crime. But right now we have this uh, situation where it is in person. We have a man shooting a gun from the U.S. Mm-hmm. and killing a child in Mexico. Right. Mm-hmm. What happens then if we have drones where we have people stationed in a building in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and they are controlling drones and killing people in other countries, could those people now sue federal agents? And so now this like one incident becomes symbolic of the bigger question of what is the responsibility and this Bivens decision where it allowed for people to sue federal agents for breaching their constitutional rights. If we've now given Sergio these rights, then shouldn't those rights be extended to every other country that the U.S. has had a hand in firing a weapon from the comfort of their own home. These parents of this child had no choice but to use these these options, the Bivens case, because again, the US wouldn't extradite him. They claimed he had immunity. So like this blew up because they weren't able to solve it. Oh, I see. On like an intra like on an actual this is a oh, man yeah. that shot a child. Yeah. So um, what happened? Nothing? So what happens is the court upholds its decision and said the court does not have precedent to extend oh to cross-border shootings. Chickens. Chicken it babies. is a conservative. It is a conservative majority. And they so this are guy went so, home. This guy goes home. Yeah. This These parents have no closure, no nobody, closure, yeah. no justice. Um, so the court's five conservative justices holds up that parents could not use American courts to sue border patrol agents. Um Specifically, What's Jesus Mesa Jr., who Somebody killed their unarmed 15-year-old right? son. Um, Somebody has got to do some vigilante. And, and they use this idea that it's like it's um, because regulating the conducts of border unquestionably has national security implications. And again, this is something that they're constantly using as like national security implications to weaken Bivens. That again, yeah. it's like they're gonna, we're going to we're going to blow up the whole thing and we're going to be subject to lawsuits, which frankly, like maybe we should be subject to lawsuits if we're fucking killing people accidentally using Better drones. Better to be subject to lawsuit than subject yes. to murder. At this time, Justice Clarence Thomas, who, again, we all know and hate, um, he pens a separate concurring um, 
a concurrence, which is like in the majority he votes with it. But he also was like, I also want to say, I think it's time to reconsider discarding the Bivens doctrine altogether. So he's using this case as going, hey, we've weakened the Bivens um, precedent. I think we should just get rid of it. It's like very similar to the Roe v. Wade of it all. You know, he's like, I think we should actually get rid of all of these things. Um, Obviously, the dissent was written by none other. RBG, um, rest in peace, rest in power. Um, Griff's favorite. Griff's favorite. So she's writing for her liberal colleagues, and she obviously disagrees with this statement. She says, saying the parents' lawsuit does not endanger border security. She's like, it does not endanger border security or U.S. foreign policy. Um, the lawsuit sh- the lawsuit should have been allowed because Mesa was on U.S. soil when he fired the shot. Mm-hmm. In her dissent, she says that that these circumstances of cross-border shooting were not new context um, and that the majority opinion was incorrect in saying that it would be a foreign policy or national security um, issue by allowing it to go forward. She said, it is all too apparent that to redress injuries like the ones suffered here it is Bivens or nothing. I resist the conclusion that nothing is the answer required in this case. Yeah. She's like, it can't just be. Sorry. Sorry. No, nothing. That's not good enough. Um, and it's just crazy because if Sergio was on U.S. soil and died on U.S. soil, he would have had that constitutional right. Mm-hmm. I had to talk about this case because I just think it's been um, – the poor family for lack of closure. And I just found it so interesting of this, like, you know, the Supreme court there end up there in their majority decision. They were like, it's up to Congress to award damages if they see fit. Like it's not our problem. It's not the court's problem because he doesn't have rights. Wow. What a, what a horrible story. What a disappointing ending. Mm -hmm. Um, I hate that. I do too. But it was this incredible art project, um, mm-hmm. 45th Parallel, and there were two stories, and this was one of them. Oh, I forgot you started with the art project. I forgot our It was origin. an art. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was, and it's it's a video, and it was so affecting. Um, and there's another story that involves a border that I will have to tell another time because it was absolutely fascinating. But I, this is a case that I don't think I, I didn't follow, right? Right. Until after the fact. And I do think it's incredibly interesting. And the, and the implications of this are so severe. And I think like most Supreme Court cases, they go, they go and they have, you know, they obviously go through the bigger questions and the bigger ramifications. But I think what's important to note is that a lot of these cases start at a, with two people. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and they get big, like these implications. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, this man shot and killed a child who was unarmed. Mm-hmm. So, so arm your children. Um, that's the that's lesson. The lesson. Actually, um, if you need a palate cleanser, I would be remiss um, to not suggest mm-hmm. that we had these great guest spots on these two shows. Um, mm. One of them was called One Broke Actress. And that was fun. And the other one is called The Ghost Story that was Guys. Fun. So much fun. And we had so much fun on these uh, appearing on these and chatting and um, because they are not people that talk about murder you might find well, the, the ghost content. story guys might not talk, only talk a- about ghosts oh, or I guess some I ghosts guess come from murder. murder sure I guess that's a murder and I guess some actresses um, famously have been murdered yes but so yeah there is crossover but at the same <laughs> time you might find if you need a palate cleanser some lighter content but you're just you can't wait till next week 
hop on over to One Broke Actress or the Ghost Story Guys and listen to the episodes we did pretty recent with them. Um, yeah. Um, we love you. We'll see you later. Hey, Quinn. What? I love you. Thanks. I love you, too. Okay. Okay. <laughs>